the ruling elder a presbyter by james henley thornwell this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org there is but one hypothesis upon which consistently with the scriptures ruling elders can be excluded from the right of imposing hands in the ordination of ministers and that is that they are not presbyters that they do not belong to that class of officers who when assembled in council possess according to paul 1 timothy 4:14 the right in question if they are recognized in the word of god as presbyters they are certainly entitled to be members of the presbytery and as certainly endowed with all the presbyterial authority which attaches to any of their brethren the whole controversy then must turn upon the question whether or not they are scriptural presbyters what then is a presbyter i have no hesitation in asserting that the fundamental idea conveyed by the term as a title of office is that of legitimate authority to rule or govern the princes of tribes and the heads of families in the jewish state were denominated elders because they were invested with subordinate jurisdiction in the conduct of the commonwealth how such an application of the term originated it is not perhaps important to determine but whatever reason we may choose to assign whether it be that in the origin of states superior age as implying superior wisdom and experience was the first prerequisite to official elevation or whether it be that the reverence and esteem the veneration and respect which should always be accorded to the hoary head were intended by a delicate allusion to be transferred to rulers certain it is that among all nations whose institutions are known to us terms which in their private and personal applications are descriptive only of superior age are found as titles of authority and place in their appropriation to stations of distinction in the state they lose all reference to private and personal characteristics in their public applications they cease to designate a man and are used exclusively to designate an office the Jewish elder and the Roman senator retained these titles of rank and authority, however few their years or limited their wisdom. In the Jewish synagogue, from which the word was confessedly introduced into the Christian church, presbyter and ruler were synonymous terms. It would seem, indeed, that, as these assemblies of the people were especially convoked to listen to the law and to engage in acts of public adoration, to communicate oral instruction was no necessary part of the service hence there was no office in the synagogues corresponding to the preacher of the christian churches any one who received permission from the elders was at perfect liberty to address the people an arrangement which could not have been admitted if there had been any public functionary whose duty required him to teach the congregation to the zakinim or elders pertained the offices of government and discipline they could bind and loose and preside in the assemblies, but never seem to have looked on the imparting of oral instruction as any part of their appropriate functions. The angel of the synagogue, if he were anything more than a menial servant, probably received his appellation from the fact that he acted as a messenger of the people to God in being the organ to express their prayers. It is manifest, then, that presbyter and preacher were not originally interchangeable terms. There were presbyters in the synagogue, but no preachers. That the apostles in transferring the word to the christian church enlarged its common and received acceptation so as to include the additional idea of authority to teach make a christian presbyter and christian preacher equivalent expressions is a proposition equally unsustained by scriptural usage or ecclesiastical antiquity that presbyters as such were not entitled to preach nor preachers as such entitled to rule would seem to be 
an obvious conclusion from the marked difference which the apostle repeatedly makes between the gift of teaching and the gift of government rulers and teachers are different endowments with which the ascending saviour furnished the church and no ingenuity of criticism can fasten the same signification upon such terms as doctrine and government the miraculous gifts too which according to paul one corinthians thirteen eight were speedily to cease the gifts of prophecy tongues and knowledge all had evident reference to the function of teaching the extraordinary officers who possessed these endowments were certainly teachers and yet from the fact that they did not continue to adorn the church beyond the age of the apostles it may be safely inferred that they were not presbyters among the first permanent officers of the church ambrose enumerates rectores or rulers while however it was the specific duty of a presbyter to rule he who was a presbyter might also be a teacher there was nothing in the nature of the presbyterial office to prevent the individual who filled it from adding to its duties the function of public instruction and we have the testimony of paul himself that in the constitution of the primitive church some of the elders did in fact preach while others confined themselves to the appropriate duties of the eldership that is to government and discipline let the elders says the apostle that rule well be counted worthy of double honour especially they who labour in the word and doctrine one timothy five seventeen to rule well was the duty of all elders regarded simply as elders to labour in word and doctrine was to do something more than the presbyteriate required and therefore such persons were entitled not only to the respect which was due to elders but also to that which was due to preachers from this passage it would also appear to have been the custom in the apostolic church to select the preachers from the class of elders instead of making an additional order in the church the apostles it would seem in the permanent arrangement of its constitution required those who were to labour in word and in doctrine to be also strictly and properly presbyters hence the common distinction between teaching and ruling elders the distinction however is not strictly accurate the eldership as such never includes teaching this is always a superadded function and it is not in consequence of his presbyterial authority that an elder preaches for obvious reasons the elder who preached would always be the moderator or president of the council of his brethren just as in the constitution of presbyterian churches at the present day the minister always moderates the session though they were all equal in office and equal in jurisdiction and all equally constituted the bishops of the church yet in the age immediately succeeding that of the apostles the term bishop became generally restricted to the presbyter who preached an instance of a similar restriction of a generic term exists at the present day even among us the word pastor belongs as much to elders as preachers and yet is generally confined exclusively to preachers hence the limitation of the term bishop should by no means astonish us the reason of this restriction is to be sought in the fact that he always presided over the presbytery he differed from his brethren in nothing but the authority to preach and to dispense the sacraments the dispensation of the sacrament being in fact only a symbolical method of preaching and therefore an exclusive function of the preacher's office it was in consequence of possessing this power and this alone that he was entitled according to the apostle to double honour he shared in a larger degree the affections of the people and received from his associates in office the high distinction of a permanent presidency it is clear from all the documents of early antiquity that preaching was the leading and characteristic distinction of him who received the special appellation of bishop he preached by an inherent right it pertained to his office and he was bound under solemn sanctions to dispense the word and sacraments those on the other hand 
who retained the original name of elders had no such inherent right. It is not lawful, says Ignatius, either to baptize or celebrate the Eucharist without the bishop. Again, let no one perform any ecclesiastical office, such as preaching or the sacraments, without the bishop. The same was determined in the councils of Laodicea, Arles, and Toledo, and such also was the testimony of Tertullian, Jerome, and Ambrose. We learn from Persidius that until the time of Augustine in the African churches, elders were not permitted to preach in the presence of the bishops, and only by his authority and as his substitute when the bishop was absent. They did not officiate by virtue of any power inherent in their order. From the same authority we gather that the custom of permitting them at all was introduced from the eastern churches. How is such language consistent with the supposition that they were ex officio ministers of the word? After the disturbance created by Arius, we are informed that the presbyters of Alexandria were debarred from preaching by the authority of the bishop. Now, if they possessed the same divine right with himself to dispense the word, if they had regarded themselves in any other light than as exercising a delegated trust and acting under the responsibility of the bishop, whose proper place it was to preach, how could they with a conscience void of offence have submitted to such an edict from one who was not officially their superior? The truth is, it is perfectly preposterous to make presbyter and preacher synonymous terms. To effect such a confusion of things separate and distinct was the work of time. The custom of permitting the elders to preach originated in the first instance from a laudable desire on the part of the bishops to have their people instructed during their absence. What at first, however, was granted as an indulgence soon came to be demanded as a right, and the innovation did not stop with elders. Even the deacons, from a similar permission granted under similar circumstances, claimed eventually to be preachers of the word and stewards of the mysteries of God. This was a more remarkable change than that which took place with reference to the eldership. Here an office notoriously instituted for the express purpose of protecting preachers from secular affairs undergoes a transformation so astonishing and wonderful as to assume the very duties which it was intended to relieve. The same ambition which would prompt the elders to aspire to the double honour which was due to the preacher's office would prompt the bishops to indulge their humour, since as the presbyters expanded into preachers, they themselves would expand into prelates. Hence, from the common pride and vanity of both bishops and elders, preaching came eventually to be regarded as a necessary element of presbyterial authority, though in the beginning it was unquestionably otherwise. Still, however, as late as the fourth century, when prelacy had made extensive and formidable encroachments, and almost, if not entirely, obliterated the original application of the term presbyter, we find some traces of the ancient constitution in the churches of northern Africa. The senioris plebis, who are confessed to have been ecclesiastical officers, were the ruling elders of the primitive age. Some learned men have been inclined to deny this position because in the writings of the times they are distinguished from presbyters. But about this time presbyter had generally become a title of the ministry, and hence in distinguishing the seniores plebis from presbyters, the meaning is that they were not preachers, they were not presbyters of the day. This, however, is no sufficient proof that they were not precisely the presbyters who, in the times of the apostles, were content to rule without attempting to preach, no more than the studied distinction which the writings of the fathers make between elder and bishop proves that they were not originally the same. In the rapid tendencies to prelacy, 
which the church was everywhere exhibiting, it is impossible to account for the introduction of a class of officers so repugnant to the genius and spirit of the hierarchy as these seniors of the people at any period subsequent to that of the apostles, and hence I am compelled to regard them as venerable monuments of a race that was rapidly dying away. As bishops had now discarded the ancient title of presbyter, and assumed the prerogatives of prelacy, and as presbyters had aspired to the more honourable functions of labouring in word and doctrine, these humble rulers were content to manifest their modesty and wisdom by the unassuming and scriptural name of elders of the people, presvuteru tulau. From the preceding statements it appears that in the primitive and apostolic church presbyters as such were simply and exclusively rulers. One of the presbytery in each congregation was usually invested with authority to preach and dispense the sacraments, and became by consequence the permanent president of the body this preaching elder received in process of time as his distinctive appellation the title of bishop while the others continued to be called by the general name of office presbyters or elders the sole distinction in the first instance between the bishop and the elders lay simply in the power of preaching it was his privilege and duty by virtue of his office but it did not pertain to the essential nature of the presbyteriate gradually however from indulgence on the part of the ministers and ambition on the part of the rulers they began to labour as preachers of the gospel so that in process of time presbyter lost its original meaning of ruler bishop lost its primitive meaning of preacher and those who ought to have been rulers became ministers and those who ought to have been ministers became prelates and diocesan episcopacy with all its abominations was established upon the ruins of parochial presbytery this view of the primitive constitution of the church reconciles the testimony of the ancient fathers which upon any other hypothesis is full of contradiction and absurdity and certainly accords with the obvious interpretation of the accounts which are furnished in the acts and epistles touching the organization and arrangement of the churches founded by the apostles as then ruling elders are strictly and properly the presbyters of scripture they are according to the apostle entitled to lay on hands in the ordination of ministers the argument is as simple as it is irresistible the imposition of hands is the prerogative of presbytery presbytery is composed exclusively of presbyters presbyters are strictly the rulers of the church therefore presbytery consists of rulers and therefore rulers are entitled to ordain every proposition in this chain is sustained by express words of scripture there is no possibility of excluding ruling elders from the right to impose their hands without showing in the first instance that they were not presbyters or what is the same that a presbyter must necessarily be a preacher when this last proposition is established ruling elders may not only give up the right to ordain but every other right which pertains to their office they become a mere human appendage to the church officers of man's institution whom it is presumption to admit into ecclesiastical courts presbyterianism stands or falls with the distinction between ruling and teaching elders there is in addition to this scriptural argument satisfactory proof that for three hundred years after the time of the apostles the right of the presbyters to ordain presbyters was universally acknowledged the third canon of the fourth council of carthage provides that in the ordination of elders while the bishop of the church offered up the ordaining prayer the whole consistory or presbytery should join with him in imposing hands upon the head of the candidate the council of ankara which was still earlier recognizes the rights of city presbyters to administer ordination even in different parishes from their own with the consent of the bishop 
that they could also participate in the ordination of bishops to say nothing of the testimony of scripture in the case of timothy is decisively proved by the fact that pelagius bishop of rome was ordained by one presbyter in conjunction with two bishops and as the canons at that time required the presence of at least three bishops and as the ordination of pelagius was admitted to be valid a presbyter must have been equal to a bishop and the imposition of his hands just as available as that of a bishop to these cases may be added the testimony of familian in the age of cyprian that presbyters however did not ordain by indulgence as they preached and baptized is clear from the oft-repeated testimony of paul which vests an absolute right of ordination in the presbytery all power and grace says familian is constituted in the church where elders preside and have the power of baptizing confirming and ordaining jerome distinctly asserts that from the days of mark the evangelist until the time of heraclas and dionysius the presbyters at alexandria made their own bishop he was elected in the first place from among themselves and then ordained by the parochial presbytery as timothy was ordained by the presbytery of derby or lystra this seems to be the obvious meaning of the words and is a plain proof of the existence in primitive times of that arrangement to which we have already referred by which the minister of the church he who was to labour in word and doctrine was required to be a presbyter the argument from scripture and antiquity might here be regarded as complete and the right of ruling elders to impose hands in ordination unanswerably established if it were not that a mass of testimony exists apparently inconsistent with this hypothesis which the interests of truth require to be explained bishops it must be confessed began at a very early period to be ordained by bishops alone according to the first council of arles and the third of carthage the presence of at least three bishops was necessary to give validity to the ordination of a bishop the canons and constitutions which go under the name of the apostles though clearly the product of a later age required as indispensable the presence of but two these testimonies do not as is generally supposed exclude presbyters from participating in the process though the presumption is that as their cooperation was not regarded as essential they soon ceased to unite with the bishops in this act of ecclesiastical authority that they had the right to unite with them is plain from the case of pelagius now if in the times of the apostles the parochial presbytery was the proper ordaining body how was so remarkable a change effected how especially did it happen in so short a time that ruling elders should rarely exercise the right of ordination except in reference to their own associates there are two causes which will be found i apprehend to explain the phenomenon after the extraordinary offices of the church had ceased it devolved of course upon the neighbouring churches to supply new congregations with ecclesiastical offices and as it would be more convenient for the pastors to meet as they were the persons most likely to be known and most likely to be summoned to attend in council the presbytery which ordained in new and vacant churches was composed for the most part of preaching elders or bishops presbyters at first were not excluded but as they were summoned only through their pastors and as all the neighbouring pastors were summoned alike a college of elders could be easily constituted without their presence and hence they no doubt soon ceased to appear in a vacant church the existing eldership might have ordained but as they had been always accustomed to the presidency of a pastor they would call in the neighbouring bishops to assist them hence there soon arose a distinction betwixt the method of ordaining a presbyter and the method of ordaining a bishop 
the one continued to be done by the parochial presbytery and the other was done by a provincial presbytery and the canons which have already been noticed and which are usually pleaded as proof of the exclusive right of bishops to ordain should perhaps be regarded as only defining the number of ministers necessary to constitute a quorum of the provincial presbytery there was no need to mention elders because they were always found on the spot in the case of vacant churches without being gathered from other congregations and because in new churches ministers being elders a true presbytery existed though composed only of the rulers who preached such a provincial presbytery was evidently necessary it was only a fuller development of the same principle on which the session was founded in the age of cyprian however it was an occasional body not a permanent one as it is with us regularly meeting upon its own adjournment it was called together only when needed to ordain a bishop in this way arose the distinction betwixt the ordination of bishops and elders what was first a mere custom originating in convenience soon became the law of the church the change thus accidentally introduced was next confirmed by a miserable fallacy ordination was early regarded as a sort of spiritual generation of ministers and as like could only beget like it was supposed impossible for those who could not preach to invest others with authority to do so the ordainer could only transmit to the ordained the rights which he himself possessed and hence presbyters were regarded as incompetent from the nature of their duties to participate in the ordination of any but presbyters this false principle of itself without any previous neglect on the part of the elders would have been sufficient to exclude them from the provincial presbytery an error of this sort is too strong for argument ancient customs and prescriptive rights might have been pleaded in vain and in spite of all the considerations drawn from apostolic practice the fallacy would have ultimately triumphed the power of a sophism to drown the voice of reason and scripture may be seen in the case of transubstantiation which led to the withholding of the cup from the laity though this measure of high-handed tyranny was in open defiance of law precedent and truth combine this principle however with the previous neglect of the elders and the foundations of prelacy are open palpable and clear when the presbyters were excluded from the provincial presbytery bishops became a distinct order superior to elders and accountable only to god now that both the causes really existed as facts cannot be denied the letters of cyprian show that it was the custom on the death of a bishop to issue such a circular to the neighbouring bishops and that the presence of all the bishops in a province at the ordination of a successor in the vacant church was usually requested the first canon of the fourth council of carthage in prescribing the examination of the bishop to be ordained adds that when he has given satisfaction touching his faith and qualifications he should then be ordained by the consent of the clergy and people and with the concurrence of the bishops of the whole province other testimonies to the same purport might be easily collected but the custom will hardly be disputed that the erroneous conception in regard to the nature of ordination to which reference has been made prevailed at an early period may be gathered from the remark of epiphanius that the order of bishops begets fathers to the church which the order of presbyters cannot do but only begets sons by the regeneration of baptisms this passage requires no comment if these two causes which unquestionably existed were adequate to produce the effect it is easy to explain how consistently with the original right of elders to ordain they gradually ceased to exercise it and eventually surrendered it in the case of bishops 
This hypothesis completely reconciles the apparently conflicting testimony of ancient documents. From Jerome we would infer that it was the custom of the elders at Alexandria to ordain their own bishop. From the authorities cited above, it would appear to have been the custom of the church to ordain a new bishop by a council of his neighbours, of whom three were necessary to constitute a quorum. Both may have been true. In later times we find no allusion to the elders, their touch was profaneness, because the neighbouring bishops had taken the matter into their own hands. The progress can be distinctly traced by which the ordination of bishops passed from the hands of the parochial presbytery to the episcopal council. That whole mass of testimony, therefore, which seems to vest the right of ordaining ministers exclusively in the hands of ministers, is thus satisfactorily discarded, and the divine authority of ruling elders to impose hands in the ordination of preachers is placed on an impregnable basis. End of The Ruling Elder a Presbyter by James Henley Thornwell